have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. If you want to do the best possible job, go in and either caulk or use an expandable or low expansion foam around all of those cracks and then come back and put the bat insulation over that. The bat's going to fill the big cavity, but it's not going to seal it extremely tight. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here to answer the questions that are important to today's homeowner. That's you at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. I'm Jim Britton. Thanks for making us part of your weekend plans. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to our website, kenthecontractor.com. Well, this time of the year, all of us have our list, especially our holiday list. Many of us also will be heading out of town, visiting others in different parts of the country or around the world. And for that, we have a travel list. I want you to add a few things to that travel list. We'll not only keep your home safe, your valuables safe, but also will save you a few dollars. And that's part of what this show is all about, folks. So sit down and take a couple of notes. And if you're not able to do that, if you're driving down the road, you can go back to the website, kenthecontractor.com, where you'll find all of this information for your later listening. First thing I want you to think about, for those of you that have electric water heaters, and I talk about this often on during the year, I want you to turn that electric water heater off. Many of you will be traveling for three, four, five days, some maybe for a week, maybe two weeks. That period of time, that water heater is consuming energy, and it keeps spinning around, that that power meter does, and it's running up that power bill, and you're not there to use it. So go to the breaker panel, turn that water heater off during this duration. Next thing I want you to do, and you've heard me talk about this one also, I want you to turn the water off to your house, but turn the water heater off first, because if you have no water in the water heater, I'm not telling you to drain it, but you could burn out an element. So turn the power off to the water heater. Turn the water off next, because we have seen damage from leaks and cracks in hoses going to washing machines, to ice makers, other smaller devices that we typically don't even think about, but you come back and find you have a flooded home. So go to your valve, turn that off as well. Beyond that, I want you to think about taking the garbage out. Have you ever uh, failed to do that, Jim, on a long trip? You just didn't take the garbage out, and all of a sudden you got home and said, Maybe I should have done something I didn't. Not good. Not good at all. So I want you to take the trash out. That's a little thing. That may not save you any money in terms of hard cash, but it's sure going to make the house smell a whole lot better when you come back. Then go to the thermostat. Again, we live in our home. We tend to have the thermostat, the temperature in that house set at a comfortable level for us summer and winter. But you can go to that thermostat and turn that down considerably. Again, if you're going to be gone three, four, five days, there's no reason to maintain it at your normal temperature. This is the time of year when you can save several dollars. You may want to drop it five, six, seven, maybe as much as 10 degrees, knowing that when you come back, you're going to have this brief period of time. If you're in a cold environment, that that heat might work an extra hour or so, but you're not providing that energy to that unit, especially if it's a heat pump system or even a gas system. You're not burning the fuel for the several days that you are gone. Now, don't turn it off. For those of you especially that live in environments that could have frost or freeze. You don't want to have the opportunity for any frozen pipes. Just set it back a little lower than you would typically have this time of year. One other item that we tend to forget about when we travel, I think, 
has to do with our valuables. We may leave them in the normal place, whether it happens to be cash, jewelry, uh, things of any substantial value that may be prone to walking out with a thief if they got in the house. You might want to think a little bit about a safe deposit box, uh, perhaps an in-home safe. Those of you that have uh, handguns and rifles, it's always good to have those locked up, not only for security purposes at the time of travel, but also to keep them away from children and others that don't need to be involved with them at that particular time in their life. Now, one item that has come to my attention from law enforcement, something that uh, I have always done but never really heard it from law enforcement, that has to do with the blinds in your house. They're suggesting that you close the blinds, in many cases, on the back of your home, especially those of you that have neighbors close by, but leave them open on the front of your house. And that's so the house doesn't look abandoned or empty from the street side, if you will. Yet if somebody's snooping around in the backyard, they can't see whether someone's actually in the bedrooms or a living area in the home. So this is something that's been suggested to me by a couple of folks in law enforcement. Two or three more items that I think that are important for you, and some of these come from law enforcement. Other these Others are just good common sense for all of us, and that has to do with noise. And you say, what are you talking about noise? I want to get rid of noise. Well, think about how we live in our home. We typically have a radio on. We may have a TV on. There's conversation. There are other things, events going on inside that house that says it's not completely silent, so it doesn't sound empty. And you may want to think about putting a radio on a timer, uh, maybe this show occasionally, so that it is on even though you're not there, and it may well be a deterrent to someone snooping around the outside trying to figure out, anybody home or not, or is this home a good target? Lights fall into the same category. I know this is something that many of my family have done for years. When we leave, we leave lights on a timer or we leave a particular uh, energy-efficient light that may be on in a designated area. Those in law enforcement suggest that it be sort of a rotating light so that if you're in the living room part of the day, a family room, or part of the night, that light may come on at your normal hours on a time control and perhaps bedroom for a few hours, something in a hall, something along those lines, again, that doesn't show up it's a house that's completely dark and isolated. That's what we're trying to get rid of. One other item that is huge in terms of telling thieves, criminals, people that want to get into your home and you don't want them there, that you're not home, that's newspapers laying all over the ground. So, folks, and mail. If you're going to be traveling for several days, stop that newspaper or be sure you have a neighbor or a relative come by and pick it up on a daily basis because that's a sure sign that no one is there at the time. Also, mail that may be visible depending on how it's stored in an open mailbox or on the front door, you can stop that mail. If you don't want to have a neighbor or relative pick it up, you can go to the U.S. Postal Service. They will hold your mail for up to 30 days. And you can take care of that online, or you can pick up a card at the post office, give that to your postal uh, carrier, and they will suspend your mail, hold it in place for you, and it's secure in their location until you come home. And then they will deliver it on whatever the first day is you tell them to deliver that. These are two items that are so obvious for anybody just driving down the road looking for a house that's just easy pickings. And I guess the last thing I want to tell you you need to think about, be sure you do have a friend or neighbor that comes by occasionally and just checks on your house. You never know what can take place. Even though you may have an alarm system, and if you do, you want to have that set, but have somebody just looking at your house periodically. I'm sure you have friends and neighbors that are happy to do it because, after all, when it's their turn to travel, surely they're going to come ask you to do the same, and I know you're going to return the favor. So be safe as you travel this holiday season. Keep your home safe and save a few dollars while you're at it. You know, one of the best things that you can do is just light. Light and lots of light is a tremendous deterrent to just keep people away. They like to be able to do things, obviously, when they can't be detected. If you've got a lot of light and a lot of exterior light, 
boy, it, it does a really good job for you, and it's not that expensive. You know, these motion sensor lights are next to, to nothing in terms of additional cost today over standard lighting, and yet it can protect us while we're not there. And for those that may have outdoor lighting that's safe and proper, you may even want to put some of your Christmas lights on the outside on an exterior timer, not an interior timer, and let those come off and on as if you were there. Coming up this hour on Ken the Contractor, about a half hour from now in the news, Ken will tell you about a cool new shower head that could serenade you in the shower. That's right. And one-on-one with Ken the Contractor, Ken's going to talk with an architect about green and sustainable home design. That's coming up this hour on this edition of Ken the Contractor. You can reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or send your emails to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. We'll take a quick break and we'll come right back with more. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. Got a question for Ken? You can reach Ken always at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email him at kenthecontractor.com. We've got a couple of those emails for you right now. And the first one, Ken, comes to us from Lexington, Kentucky. Catherine has an electrical problem. And while I answer all of the emails that come to us, our mailbag editor Aaron Yoder and I work on those throughout the week, There are some that we pull that we'd like to get on the air because we find them just a little unique or things that some of you may have questions or issues about, but you've been afraid to call or to write. So let's see what Catherine has for us out of Lexington. Said, I need electrical help. Said, I have a mixer that causes that little button on the countertop wall outlet in the kitchen to pop out and stop working almost every time I use it. Said, I have to push the reset button to get the outlet working again. I think I have a bad outlet because I plugged the mixer into an outlet in the dining room, and it works fine. Do I need an electrician, or can we change the outlet ourselves? said, my husband and I are not electricians. Well, Catherine, I'm going to start with the tail end of this email first and tell you I commend you for recognizing where your skill sets are strongest and where they may be weaker. And for you, your husband, and for others that are not comfortable dealing with electricity, even with breakers off, I'm going to suggest that you hire someone that's properly licensed and qualified to deal with these things. And that's not just true of electricity, but everything else in our home, if it's beyond our comfort zone, It's not worth the possibility of getting hurt, causing a fire, water damage to the house, or other issues there. So I want to commend you for thinking about that and at least sharing that with me. Now, let's go back to your issue. This mixer that you got, I assume, must be a hand mixer since you've taken it into another room and it works in that outlet. But you may not have an outlet problem, and that's one reason I wanted to bring this one to the air. Just because the breaker, and these are typically called or referred to in the industry as a GFI, a ground fault interrupter circuit. That's a particular outlet that may be in your kitchen, your bathroom, your garage, out on your patio or your deck, any wet area. That's been a code requirement since the 70s. And it'll either be a breaker in the panel if it's the house is old enough. You'll see that in the panel, but not on the outlet. In newer homes, probably in the last 25 years or so, 30 years, they have been actually part of the outlet, a GFI, a ground fault interrupter circuit. They're extremely sensitive, and they are designed to keep us from being electrocuted in any wet environment. Now, what could be happening here is that that mixer actually has a short in it. That's one reason I wanted to bring this to air, Catherine. If you have a home device that you're plugging into the kitchen, again, it could be a tool in your workshop on a GFI, if that tool is constantly tripping that outlet, or the breaker for that circuit, 
the GFI breaker, and yet you take that tool and you plug it in, let's say, to a living room or a bedroom or someplace that is not GFI protected and it works fine, that may mean that the tool actually has an internal short, one that's so minor you can't see it or feel it yet, but it could be a very dangerous situation. You need to have the tool inspected. And the way you check this to see if you've got an outlet problem is you take another device. And in the case, Catherine, of your particular uh, wall outlet, we have this mixer that's tripping that. I'd take another mixer or another electrical device, a toaster, a blender, whatever you may have in the kitchen, and plug it into that outlet. If that outlet does not trip, then that's a pretty good indicator that your problem is in the mixer. If that outlet trips with every other device that you plug in, then it's a pretty good sign you have just a bad GFI outlet. And that can mean that you just have a wire loose on the back or the outlet itself has gone bad. And they do occasionally. I rarely see that, but they do occasionally go bad. And if you're uncomfortable dealing with electricity, by all means, you want to bring in a licensed electrical person, whether it's a handyman or an electrician, somebody certified to make these type of changes and check them out. So very good question. And for all of you, with electrical kitchen appliances, and I dare say everybody listening to us has some group, whether it's one, two, three, or five electrical appliances, pay close attention to that because if it's tripping that breaker and you can plug it in somewhere else and it works, that may mean that there's a problem with the appliance. could cause a fire, could cause somebody to have an electrical issue if you have it plugged in elsewhere. Do you have a question for Ken, the contractor? You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Our next email comes to us out of Reading, Pennsylvania, Ken, and this is a combination of electricity and gas. And I've got to say, as someone who did not grow up, with gas being utilized a lot, I'm still to this day a little bit iffy about gas. And the combination, obviously, of electricity and gas is one you always want to be very careful about. Well, you do. And this is not as much of a mix as it is a change. But there are plenty of people listening to us that, uh, Jim, will have the same feeling you do, that, you know, just didn't grow up with gas. And the older gas appliances, stoves, furnaces, and so forth, clearly were not safe by today's standards. Now, they were in their day. But by today's standards, they would not be accepted in any type of new or retrofit construction. Uh, and the safety guidelines that are there are phenomenal. But this comes to us from Rita in Reading, Pennsylvania, and said, we want to replace our old electric range with a new LP gas range. This sounds simple to us, but I've heard you tell listeners to beware of hidden costs and problems that can arise when a change appears simple. What should I be prepared for, or is this really easy? Well, Rita, thanks so much for listening. I'm glad somebody's paid attention out there because sometimes, as they say, the uh, the devil's in the details. And what appears so simple in this case, you want to change an old electric range. I guess you maybe you grew up cooking with gas. You want to go back to that. I don't know what your situation is, but on the surface, it is simple, and I hope for you it is. One things that will make one of the things that'll make it much easier is if you already have LP gas coming into the house. For example, a fireplace a heat unit, uh, your furnace, hot water heater. If you already have an LP tank and you have gas piping coming into the house, it could make this so much easier for you. If you don't, it's a little more complex because you're going to have to situate a tank. That has to meet certain code criteria, and you've got to route a line. But two things uh, I want you to pay attention to that are very important. One, if you're replacing the old electric range, be sure that your new gas range will fit in that same opening, that you're not going to have to modify cabinets. And this is something a lot of us forget about. Measure the width of it. You want to know what the clear opening is for that unit. You also want to be certain that the old 220 outlet that's probably behind that is taken out because chances are pretty good. The new gas range, some may, but some I've encountered will not slide all the way back in place properly and it will project forward too much. So you may want to have that outlet taken out by an electrician. 
at least it's something to look at. Then you want to be sure that you can route a gas line to it so that you can feed it without it being all over the outside of the wall and look like a, a spaghetti network on the exterior. And you want to be certain that you have ready access to those shutoff valves. Those are a couple of the key items. Now, there are different sizes in our ranges these days in terms of width. The depth is typically standard, but it's the width that will vary, and that's going to be the big item for you to pay attention to. Also, you want to take a look around, and if you're doing this, be sure that you know where your smoke and fire detectors are, and uh, if that's uh, something you need to relocate slightly, you may want to do that. But one other item, if this is your only or your new, a new and only gas appliance in the house, and you're putting that LP tank in on those gas lines, you want to be sure that you've got a carbon monoxide detector. For everybody that has a gas appliance, that's a must. These things are 25 to $40 a piece or so. They're lifesavers. Well, and I know people in the industry who deal with gas cringe when I bring up the point that I did earlier about the safety issues because that's something they've been dealing with for years. But as you pointed out, it's something they have dealt with I think in not only a very responsible fashion, but they've tried to design all of these things so that they can be used, obviously, safely in your home. Because in a lot of cases, you're going to save some substantial money. Well, you are. Depending on what part of the country you're in and your electric, your electrical cost, gas could be your best bargain. And I have a combination of both in my own home, of both gas and electrical appliances. And the safety features that are built into these today are phenomenal. From oxygen sensors to CO2 sensors, they are constantly detecting everything that's in the air. And for some of you saying, yeah, I know, I have a hard time getting it started. Well, they're that sensitive. It does take a little more maintenance, but it's there for your safety. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. Don't forget, you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor. And also follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. Or you can email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. Time now for this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and save money. Joining me now is Fred Esch. Fred is an architect, but not the common architect that most of us would think of on a day-to-day basis. Fred's going to talk to us a little bit about environmental design. Now, Fred, you are on the cutting edge when it comes to architectural design, designs that are environmentally friendly, but you're not new to this. Tell us a little bit about your background and your evolution with the overall green movement in home construction. Yeah, I've actually been doing this work for about 30 years. I uh, my roots are up in northern Maine, where I bought about 250 acres up there, a, a former water mill site, and we restored the old water mill and generated electricity to power our woodworking machinery and equipment. And so I've been doing uh, green design really consecutively ever since. A few things that really piqued my interest, one is called holistic, organic, sustainable design. Now, for me, that's quite a mouthful, and I think that's probably true for many of our listeners. Explain to us, what is that? Well, first of all, holistic means when the design is done, you really take every element into consideration simultaneously. So it's not a linear process where you you kind of work from one thing to another, but you really try to factor everything in in terms of solar, energy efficiency, uh, using non-toxic materials, certainly the client's budget, the site, Everything, you take that all into account simultaneously, which results in a holistic design. 
Now, by organic, what I mean by that is a lot of the the styles and the designs are not stylistically organic necessarily so much as they are literally organic using materials like vegetated living roof systems, straw bale construction, so your uh, uh, timber frame. So you're really using organic materials as compared to processed, you know, plastics and petroleum-based products. Sustainable simply means that all of these systems are sustainable in the long run. They are systems that can never become obsolete. They're self-maintaining, self-renewing, self-regenerating living systems. One of the key questions that I have has to do with cost, not only on typical energy efficiency items. People may see a higher price on the front side, but when it comes to looking at an entire structure, and I'm sure this is a question that you have to field constantly. When people look at green design, and you're taking the entire approach, and again, I'll use your phrase, the holistic, sustainable design that's here, should they anticipate paying far more than the average house, or is this something that's more affordable than most people think? I think the latter. It's much more affordable. I think in the past that has been somewhat the case, that to try to do something alternative would might be 20% or more than conventional construction. But over the years, I've learned a lot of techniques, and there are, are new ways to do it, so that today the cost is for to do something green or sustainable really is not necessarily necessarily any more expensive than conventional construction and this was and I'm talking about just the front end initial cost if you factor in the life cycle cost of the building which are monthly heating bills cooling bills are going to be then it certainly is an investment from which you're going to get a very quick return so the net result is that it's actually less expensive in the long run than conventional construction clearly this is something I'd recommend as a builder that anyone interested in green building investigate on the front side and I will also tell you that not every building has their business keyed to green building. So you may want to look for an architect that specializes in that, such as Fred. You may also want to find a builder that has a strong background in green building. These two together will allow you to spend the least amount of money and end up with the best possible product, in my experience. Now I want to go to a few more items. You talk about rainwater harvest, irrigation, hydroponics, and aquaculture. All of these are words that have become commonplace in the construction industry in recent years rainwater harvesting especially rain barrels are now sold even in some of the big box stores that's an item that really is simple that every homeowner can do if you're not building a house from scratch tell us a little bit about some of your concepts and your background in rainwater harvesting right i think that's becoming increasingly more important with all of the the water shortages not so much in this region right now but certainly in many parts of the country it's a major consideration so anything that you can do to harvest rainwater it's basically pure you can even run it through filters for it to be potable water. If not that, you can use it for irrigation quite simply. You typically would want to have, let's say, a metal roof. It's not really applicable to uh, asphalt roof. The other, the other thing that you can do then, too, is you can take some of that same water that comes off of the roof and take it one step further where you can actually grow uh, vegetables in a greenhouse environment with hydroponics. You can even take it one step further than that with aquaculture, something like tilapia. is very easy to a fish to, to raise, and so you can actually add to your food that you would be eating so and then in turn uh, the gray water that is that would come out of your washing machine you can cycle that back into the ground to replenish the uh, the aquifer so it really is more of a complete cycle you're getting it off the roof you're using it for any number of 
possibilities and then you're recycling it by placing it back into the ground where it can replenish the aquifer and completing that cycle, that hydro cycle. Another area that you address has to do with indoor air quality and for so many across this nation that has become a huge issue. We look at all these specialty filters that are available out there, people that fight, uh, have allergy issues that fight mold and mildew problems, but they just have other things, pet dander, various things that go on in their environment that create huge issues for them. You address not only the structure, not only the energy efficiency components, but also the indoor air quality. And talk to us a little bit about what we should be considering when we're thinking about building green when it comes to our indoor air quality. The average new tract house that's built today, the indoor air quality uh, sometimes can actually be literally toxic. And this is a result of all of the adhesives, the caulks, the paints, the the chemicals in your carpet. The list kind of goes on and on on all of these manufactured products. So you can pay close attention to that by using low VOC paints, by being very careful about type of adhesives and caulks you use. That in and of itself can go a long way. Beyond that, though, a major consideration is your heating system. One of the big culprits really is forced hot air systems that have duct work, which uh, can build up mold, mildew, and dust that you can never access. So you're actually circulating all of that through the house that you're breathing. So today we can go a long, long way with passive cooling techniques, for example, so that in most of my houses I don't even need central air conditioning. And even if you do need some form of air conditioning, there are mechanical systems like ductless split systems, for example, that you can use so that you do not have the ducting, and that's really the culprit. That combined with all of the other toxins that I mentioned, you can really get a handle on your indoor air quality by paying attention to that. Fred, for those that are giving any consideration to building an entire home that is all green, what recommendations do you have? I would recommend contacting someone such as myself who does specialize in this that can really look at your individual situation and assess your budget, your desires, the site, uh, really all the factors that are particular to you and your situation and what you want to accomplish. Uh, advise anyone to seek professional help uh, to help them through that process. Fred, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's architect Fred Esch talking about green and sustainable home designs. That's this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. As Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and save money. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come right back with more. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. A house is what you build, a home is what you make it. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. And when I say you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975, you can leave voicemail questions there for Ken, like this one from Robert. Remodeling a couple of bathrooms, need some advice on uh, contractors and also some um, steps for how to most efficiently and economically uh, do these bathrooms uh, in the sense of whether to buy the items ourselves or just let the contractor do it for us? Thanks very much. Well, great question, Robert. Other people have asked similar questions, but let me start with the second part first before I go to the contractors. When any of us are looking to have a project of substance done, in this case you're talking about hiring perhaps remodel contractors to come in and do these bathrooms, 
And your question is, do I buy the components? Should I be buying the shower head? Should I be buying the tub, uh, all of the plumbing fixtures, maybe even the tile? I'm not sure how far you want to go with this. What I would say to many of you is that there is a potential to save a little bit of money. There's no question about that. But here's what I think you give up, and I've always shared this with my customers as well. If you are buying, let's say, a shower valve, and they have multiple pieces to this valve, and you purchase it yourself at the wholesale store, you may have saved a few dollars because you're not paying the contractor the markup and their labor to secure it, to get it on site, all of these items. But when that shower valve is defective or it's missing a few parts and pieces and you've got to make one or two trips back and forth to the store, leave your job during the day to do those things to not delay the contractor because if you delay the contractor, you may be exposing yourself to added labor cost. You need to place a real value on that. Secondly, if the valve works fine when it's installed, but within its manufactured warranty period, let's say it has a one-year warranty from the manufacturer, if something goes wrong with it, an internal mechanism doesn't work right, it starts leaking, there's a bad cartridge in it, guess what? The contractor may come back and replace it, but he or she is going to charge you because it was not a contractor-furnished item. So if you end up with a two or $300 charge to have the contractor or the plumber come back, take that out and return it to the store and get a new one for you versus having paid that contractor a few dollars in their markup and their overhead on the front side, how much have you really saved? So there can be a false economy in saying, I'll go buy all of these items and I'm going to save a bundle of money because the contractor doesn't have it in the contract. But you need to place a value on your time and you also need to think about the service and the follow-up on who do you call when there is a warranty issue. And unfortunately, there are thousands of pieces that go into all the components in our homes. There are going to be some items that are defective and some things that just won't show up for a period of time, some that are covered by warranty and some that are not. But always place a value on your time. So for my money, and I'm talking about me as a consumer, not as a builder, because I buy a lot of products for my own properties and for my own home, things that I don't install, I could install, but I choose not to. I will pay that particular professional their fee as long as it's reasonable and it's competitive to buy the product and to install it. So if I have an issue, I'm making one phone call, and they're responsible to take care of it. Now, when it comes to contractors, you're asking for some references or how do you go about finding those. Some great sources will be some of the places, these showrooms, you might be looking at products uh, to select for you or for your contractor and ask that wholesale house for references on your type of work. You're looking to remodel a bathroom. Who would they recommend that specializes in remodeling? They're not going to give you people that don't pay their bills. They're not going to give you people that have a bad reputation because it will not look good for them as a wholesale house. So they're always a good reference to me as a builder and as a consumer. Also, you can check with your local building departments for people that uh, specialize and have a specialty license because they're only going to give you people that have the proper license in your state or locality. And they will also, they check insurance, comp and liability, because in most states that's a requirement to have a contractor's license. So you know that if they're giving you a reference, they're completely official and they're legal as far as that municipality is concerned. Those are two great references for you. And thirdly, I'd say check with your local builders association. The National Association of Home Builders has affiliates in almost every city in every state in this country, and you'll find that the Home Builders Association will be a great resource. So good luck to you with your bathroom remodel, Robert. Very good. And also, if you'd like to leave email uh, voicemail questions for Ken, you can leave them at 800-614-2975. We'll try to answer them on an upcoming program. Uh, time now for In the News. 
Now, Weekly Ken brings you products, trends, tips, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, purchases, remodeling, and new construction. And this is also the category, every once in a while, we bring you stuff that's just downright cool. If this one is one of those neat items. You know what? It's Christmas time. You may want it on your Christmas list. You may want to be providing one to somebody else. And it stays with the plumbing theme, just so happens. Kohler, one of the world's largest plumber Plumbing manufacturers of plumbing products has just released what they call the Moxie. That's M-O-X-I-E, Moxie Showerhead. No, and it's not just a showerhead with an integrated speaker capsule. A Bluetooth-enabled Kohler Moxie music system is now available for your shower with an integrated speaker capsule that's both rechargeable and removable. What they recognize is there's more than 120 million people in the U.S. that own a smartphone. And under a recent survey, and Jim, you were talking about this on another program just recently, they found that 75% of these folks with smartphones use them in the bathroom. So Kohler has introduced a new sensory experience, as they call it, to showerheads with the Kohler Moxie showerhead. They're seeing a growing demand for music in the bathroom. They've done their own surveys, according to their marketing director. And so I'm sure that's why they've put the research and development into coming up with this. Now, the showerhead syncs with any Bluetooth-enabled device, smartphones, and MP3 players, and it streams music directly into the shower. The speaker pod can be removed for enjoyment on the go, so it does give you a feature to move around the house, if you like it, throughout the rest of the bedroom, the house, outdoors, whatever. Now, the Moxie showerhead takes accessibility, as they say, to a whole new level of convenience and style. Let's talk just briefly about some of the key features. The installation, folks, it's no different than ordinary shower head, very in- easy to install. The audio control is managed through the paired Bluetooth-enabled device. It's got its on-off and on switch with its uh, funky little colored light so that you can tell if the battery needs recharging or whether it's ready to receive. It's got a lithium battery that recharges with a USB cord that's included. Now, here's what might get you a little bit. But if you're into high tech and you love your music, the manufacturer suggested retail price is $199. That's Kohler. Not too bad. No, not too bad at all. Let's sneak in a, a real quick email here from Leon out of Virginia, Ken. Wants to know if there's a right season to install PT deck material. Yeah, and I, I, the season really is whenever we get time is what I like to tell folks. And, and Leon, uh, the answer to pressure-treated deck material as well as pressure-treated fencing and anything along these lines that we're installing outside is there can be a better season, but the right season is honestly when you have time. Generally, fence and decks, deck experts will confirm that early spring, late fall, and perhaps even winter uh, where the, wild, the milder temperatures stay above freezing can be the best time. The summer months are probably the worst time in terms of how wood responds to high temperature with the amount of moisture that's in it. And that's because the pressure-treated material has a great deal of moisture in it, and it's more stable when the temperatures are more constant. Spring and fall in most regions of the country tend to be that way where our, there's not a great difference between our lows and our highs. In the summer months when we have extensive heat, we may be reaching the 90s, 100 degrees. You've got moisture content that's 25% or more, 30% in this wood. It has a greater tendency to twist, to cup, to separate, to want to split because it's drying so rapidly. Now, if you can install it in the cooler time, spring, fall, even early winter, if it's, you're not subject to freezing in your environment, then you're going to find the wood is more stable it can acclimate, and once you have it screwed or nailed in place, it's going to perform better. Very good, Leon. We hope that helps you out. This wraps up another hour of Ken the Contractor. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or online at KenTheContractor.com.
You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com. 